Hi, and welcome to Drawing Inspiration. I am your host, Mike Henley. Episode 69, Building Your Creative Brand with Cole LeBounty McNair. Hi, everyone. Welcome back. I hope you are enjoying your holidays and have an opportunity to take a little bit of time off. So there's a couple things I'll talk about, and then we can jump right into the interview. So I've been reflecting back on this year in the podcast, and I put together a few stats. So there were 26 episodes this year. That totals about 39 hours of finished edited audio (laughs) that you can listen to. So that included 23 guests on the podcast, nearly uh, 50,000 downloads for the year. When I talk about 26 episodes, it took about 196, so almost 200 hours of prep time in uh, doing the research and uh, editing the podcast and the show notes and everything else tied to it. So uh, it was a significant amount of time this year, but uh, I loved every minute of it. So as a matter of audience, it's hard to get real stats on that. Um, and I think I'm okay with that. But I think what was important to note is that uh, this podcast has listeners in 118 countries. And that just blew my mind. The fact that there's so many people tuning in, enjoying this, um, you know, all the positive feedback I've gotten this year, and all the engagement. I think it's been wonderful. So I wanted to thank you, the listener, for being such an important part of this. If you want to know how you can do more, listening is part of it. (laughs) Uh, The next step could be becoming a patron. And I'd like to thank uh, Glendon and Angela for becoming the latest patrons of the show. There are different tiers, and I'm going to be adjusting those probably in the next month or so. I've expanded the Patreon, as I mentioned in the previous podcast, from rather than just being focused on the podcast, of being focused on me as an artist, and the podcast is part of what I do as being an artist. So you can uh, learn more about this at uh, patreon.com slash Mike Hendley. That's all kind of one word, no spaces, no underscores. Or you can go to drawinginspiration.fm. And so you can follow that link and learn more about what is Patreon and how you can support the podcast as I continue to do this into 2022. So thank you to you, the listener as well as all the patrons and all the guests and everyone else who's been part of this podcast. So thank you for being part of this journey and wishing you all the best in 2022. So as a matter of artwork, I did a couple of uh, dragonflies. I did one in colored pencil and one in watercolor. So I did sell the watercolor one, the original. It's always hard (laughs) parting with an original piece, but I'm really happy with how that turned out. And I know that the person who I actually hand-delivered it to, because they were local, obviously with masks and distancing and the whole bit, but uh, they were really happy with that. So it was just, it made my day to hear and to see their reaction and to hear uh, their comments. It was wonderful. So I still have the colored pencil one, which I did on toned blue paper with the Faber-Castell Polychromos pencils. I think I may put that up in my shop. I'm still kind of, I've got like maybe a half a dozen, maybe 10 colored pencil pieces I've done on, you know, white paper and toned blue and some tan. I may put them up in my shop as a series. Uh, So I think I'm going to uh, consider doing that in the next week or two. So the other thing I've been doing is this watercolor course with Ian DeHogue. This is put on by Etcher Studio, and it's been fantastic. I've learned a lot uh, through this watercolor course. Uh, the latest piece is a bison, and I took a little bit of a different path from what Ian was doing, but I think that's all part of the creative uh, experience. You know, I learned so much from hearing him speak and talking about what he knows that I just, I, I'm really enjoying this. This is intended to be kind of a 
a beginner course in some ways. So I think you can always sign up now and, and you can watch the recordings. But Ian does such a fabulous job here that um, I'm anxious to maybe even consider taking his next course as well. So that's been kind of fun. The other thing I did recently is I did a live draw slash paint with uh, Samantha Dion Baker, who was on a previous episode of the podcast, and we did a black swallowtail. And so it was uh, really interesting to see our different approaches. It is saved in her Instagram live as she was the host. So I'd invite you to check that out. And we both posted our final uh, kind of rendering of that. And the black swallowtail was actually a photograph I took in our yard. And this was a swallowtail that we raised from a caterpillar and we released. And so there's a little bit of a kind of a special memory with that, uh, with that specific butterfly. And I would encourage you to still, you can check it out if you want the original photo, let me know. Uh, I did share it through Instagram at the time, but um, it was great to see everybody taking a stab at this, whether it be, um, you know, you could do it digitally. We had a few people do it digitally, whether it's watercolor, graphite colored pencil, oil, whatever the case, it was fantastic to see her work. It was really great being able to sit down with Samantha again and, and chat about what she's been up to with her new book. And you can check out her profile to, for a link to that. So um, yeah, that was great. So I think that's it for updates. Just one more thing before we get into the interview. I wanted to mention once again that for every episode that I do, I put in all the links that we talk about. And for this interview, we went through a lot of material and there was a lot of great resources and links. So I've put them all in the show notes. So if you are listening to this via your podcast player and it doesn't support clickable links in the show notes, you can always go to the drawinginspiration.fm webpage and you can click on the links there after you listen to the show or whatever the case. And you will get access to um, to those people, places, and tools that we talk about through the podcast. So um, don't forget to check out the show notes. And now on to the interview. My guest this week has inspired me for some time with his incredible renderings of my favorite subject, wildlife. Whether it is watercolor, graphite, or colored pencil, his skill is simply amazing. His abilities become fully evident when he invites us to join him through Instagram Live or on TikTok to hear his stories and become part of the process. He is also quite open about sharing his excellent insights around building a business and brand awareness. To talk about his creative journey, I welcome to the Drawing Inspiration podcast, Cole LeBounty-McNair. Hi, Cole. How are you? Hello. I'm good. Thank you so much for having me. I'm very excited to be here and to get to st- you know speak to all of your viewers and just kind of share an art journey with each other. Thank you very much for coming on the podcast. I've been watching your work and your live draws, and they are so compelling. You're so interactive with uh, the viewers and watching what you're creating. I love your graphite work and your colored pencil work. And I just, as soon as I saw it, you know, someone who creates a lot of pieces based off of nature, I was immediately compelled to like, I have to get Cole on the podcast. <laughs> I have to learn what he does. Uh, thank you. Thank you so much. So I wanted to, um, you know, you focus on colored pencil and graphite now, but you're, you've got a kind of a rich history in what you've, what you've done. So as always, I, I like to understand where you came from to understand where you are now. Were you always interested in art? Like, you know, beyond just being the kids who are given a crayon, maybe just to keep them distracted. But what was what was young Cole like? Young Cole was very much an introverted kid. Um, I, 
I was a book reader. I loved books. And my first experience really delving into the art world was through books. I mean, I remember just looking at a bunch of different artists because I was really intrigued by it at a young age. You know, I really started delving into it when I was about seven years old. And some of my earliest memories I can really think of were, of course, looking at books such as Monet or Rembrandt, Vermeer, um, which is my personal favorite artist. And so for me, I always loved the light that they would radiate through their pieces of work and really just like capturing an everyday life. And so, you know, at a young age, it was really just experiencing art and then really kind of delving into it when I was around like seven or eight-ish. I remember my mother bought me a praying watercolor set and (laughs) I just sat outside because we had really beautiful gardens outside growing up and I just would doodle and draw and paint and just experience pigment and color because I was always just so naturally gravitated towards it as a very young age. And so I was always just an inquisitive little artist, I think, is really how I would best describe it. And then I just continued with it. And and so I'm an introvert as well. I was much worse. (laughs) I shouldn't say worse. (laughs) I was a much more exaggerated introvert when I was younger. I wouldn't say it was worse. It was worse because I couldn't, I didn't know how to handle it. Was that an escape for you? Was it a sense of comfort in doing that? Yeah, I mean, I definitely would say it was a sense of comfort. I, even at a young age, never felt like I fully could relate to people. So what would appear on the outside as as me as a child was what would appear to be extroverted. I was, you know, funny. I would try to make people laugh because I just couldn't figure out how to maneuver through relations with people. So art for me was just something that I could be by myself. I could do it and just solely be inwards, you know, and I think that there's so many times that people just don't take the time to be inward with oneself. And so I always just appreciated that as a young kid and just really, you know, that's really how I kind of would always experience it with myself. Are you, are you the same way today? I would say a good 70% the same today. <laughs> Through my adolescence and then into adulthood, I learned how to put myself into society and really be okay with being around people. You know, my previous job, which we'll talk about later, you know, I, I was around people. I was in luxury cells. And so it was always about having a game face on and making people feel comfortable. And it was a cells environment. So you know, I, I through life kind of had to learn how to put myself out into people and be okay around being with people. So as an adult, I'm still very much that inward person. I could just lock myself inside and be alone and just, I find myself a romanticizer of life by myself, you know? So I'm still a good 70% that <laughs> introverted little kid, but with an outward appearance of being extroverted. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. So you stayed with art through high school, you weren't distracted by any of that, and then you, what was your journey after that as well? Yeah, I I definitely, it would be from like sunup until sundown that I was, I either was thinking about art and then I would get home from school and I would watch the magic school bus and then go draw. (laughs) And so, (laughs) you know, I was, I was always like that, that kid that wanted to learn things and try new stuff. And so throughout my, you know, 
high school experience, I, I heavily was involved in art. My mother's best friend was and still is an interior designer, and her son, um, Stephen, was an exceptional artist, and he's on Instagram. Like he, He's an amazing artist, but he, we were good personal friends. We grew up together, and he was an artist as well. And so they introduced me to this woman named Judy Saker, who was in Fort Worth, Texas, and at that time, she was the president of the National Watercolor Society. And so I was lucky enough to get to study with her. And so when I was in high school, I did private lessons on the weekends. My parents would drive me two hours to go do private lessons with her and then drive me two hours back home. And then on the weekends, like my senior year of high school, I would spend the weekends with her at her lake house. And from sunup to sundown, I would study with her. And she was really the catapult to really pushing me forward and just owning being an artist. And just really being comfortable being in that. Because I think when you're that kid, you get surrounded in it and you don't really know what else you should do moving into the world when you grow up. And so she's like, it's okay to be an artist. Like, if you want to do that, you can do it. And it's going to be tough, but you can do it. Yeah, it's not a clearly defined career path in being an artist. And I think that's why even as... Well, I mean, my dad was an electrician. He could tell me about how clearly defined being an electrician or a plumber or working in construction uh, was, but when I dabbled with the idea of, of artistry, it wasn't something that went anywhere just because of the nature of things. Um, yeah. So I think, I don't know if it's, I, I would hope it's easier for kids these days, but that certainly is tough. And it's great that yeah. your parents embraced that. Um, and uh, They did. And, you know, I was very lucky in that aspect. My my parents are both, I would say, artistic in their own ways. My mother's amazing when it comes to interior design. They had a new home-going company. So my dad, you know, was able to design homes. Um, and he was an extremely, extremely crafted woodworker. And I remember being a kid, like on the weekends, when he would build these beautiful chairs and coffee tables out of wood and like hand turn them, like I would just sit and watch and admire it. And I think it is really what pushed me into being a meticulous artist and really kind of sometimes to my detriment getting lost into detail of things. But yeah, I mean, both of their personalities, I think, really shaped me. And I inherited both of those artistic genes from them. And they were just very supportive and still are to this day. Yeah, you know what? I I love watching you draw. I watch a lot of artists draw and paint and, you know, continue on your, your journey through education. But I just wanted to comment the way that you, it's it's almost like you dance with the pencil and the paper. Like there is, is an interaction with you in the paper where you're, you're drawing that material onto the paper, but you're dragging it along with such specificity and, and such grace. It's just beautiful to watch. And it's, it's not like you're pushing hard. It's like it's just flowing out of you and you're letting it hit the paper. And it's just a wonderful experience to watch you draw. Thank you. I think, you know, it's nice hearing that because I, and we can delve into it later, but I mean, I stepped away from doing art for 12 years after I was done for school. I didn't pick up a pencil. I didn't draw on paper. I, it, like going to art school for me was a horrific experience. I didn't enjoy it. Now when, you know, the pandemic happened and our world shut down, I started doing art again. And for me, I, you know, love doing oil painting and I love doing watercolor. So when I, I do work within my mediums, whether it's graphite or colored pencil, you know, still sometimes watercolor, there's this lyricism between paper and tool that 
people always ask me, what do you listen to when you draw? Do you always listen to music? I'm like, anything sad and depressing <laughs> makes me happy. <laughs> so it's like, in a sense, too, because you've watched, there's a very lyrical and musically methodical choice that I listen to when I draw. And I think that a lot of the times I tell people, I don't really even remember the pieces I draw, to tell you the truth, because I, I am so removed from my own thought process that I put myself into the thinking process of the animal that I'm working on. And I think that's also how I'm able to captivate them the way that I do. So thank you. And it, it makes me feel like, you know, I don't have to go do live drawing sessions, but I love doing it for that sole fact that people enjoy it because I want people to enjoy art, whether they can do it or whether they, whether they can't. And just to make a safe environment for people to come to relax and to watch art. So thank you very much for saying that. It does mean a lot. That's awesome. It is wonderful. And uh, we'll talk about it at the very end and we'll include it in the show notes where people can find you. But uh, you seem to be always live drawing. So I think <laughs> if you're having a bad day, go check out cold drawing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Live drawing for me, it's literally like... I can sometimes get distracted with things and be a little bit of a procrastinator. So it keeps me in check. Um, so that's why I do it as much as I do. <laughs> so if we continue on your journey through high school, uh, you obviously went to art school, as you mentioned. What was, was that clear to you at the end of high school that I'm going to art school? It's just that's the way it is. And, and Yeah, it was kind of because I had spent so much of my life doing art that I never really took the time to do anything else. And so it was kind of like, well, I mean... I was blessed to get to study with this woman named Judy. And, you know, there's a lot of people that are saying, yeah, like you could be a really great artist, like go give it a shot. And so I was like, well, I mean, there's nothing else for me to do. I haven't really <laughs> experienced anything else. So, you know, let me go try because I can either be a painter. I can be, an, you know, somebody who draws. I can be, you know, a sculptor if I want because I did that. I could do ceramics if I want. I could do that. So I'm like, there's all these other different little things that I can do, but art is really the only final destination I see in front of me right now. So was it clear as to what school you wanted to go to? or So I was honed in on three separate schools. One, because I've always been an extreme graphite artist. I wanted to go to the Cooper Union, which is in New York, an extremely, extremely hard school to get into. I've always been somebody who puts a goal in front of myself and I always try to achieve it. And I always try to set myself up for something even more difficult than the next. And so, you know, I, I saw that as like an, a goal and an achievement. If I could get in, that'd be great. And then the second was the Maryland Institute College of Art, an amazing institution. A lot of exceptional painters came out from there. Um, and then the Chicago Institute of Art. And then there were some other ones, but those were like the three that I was like, this is like my goal. And so I did not get accepted to Cooper Union. Um, I did get accepted to the Maryland Institute College of Art and the Chicago Institute of Art. Um, and I ended up going with the Maryland Institute College of Art, MICA, um, because I got offered the presidential scholarship. Wow. So that is why I chose to go there. And how long was that program? Four years. And how was that experience? I think that there's a lot of good things about it and a lot of bad things. I like to say, and a lot of people ask me this question, do you propose going to art school? I think if you're somebody who needs to learn the fundamentals of art, 
and you want to experience a broadband immersive way of doing art and being around other artists, then I think that art school is a really great tool for so many people. My opinion was being in an academic setting, such as, you know, prestigious school, it is very, very stifling. A lot of the professors look at it as a very academic way of doing art. So when you're thinking academic, for those listening that are kind of like, oh, what is that? So you're being judged and held up against people like Cezanne or Monet or, you know, Jeff Koons, like all of these types of artists that have a very reputable name. And you're kind of held against them in this pinnacle of art. So if you can't achieve it and you can't get to that level of work, you're kind of looked at as not great. Hmm. And I think that that's sometimes a detriment. I think that we should all have classic fundamentals of art. Otherwise, you know, we, we can't produce. You know, I mean, we can produce, but understanding the basic fundamentals of art is a necessity for an artist, but it doesn't mean that that's what one has to do. I mean, art should be about free form and free thinking and free creation. So for me personally, it was a not good experience, even though I was at that caliber that they were looking at. But they're like, you know, because you can do it. There's nothing we can teach you. So I'm like, then why am I here? (laughs) You know, like, I want you to, like, help me. They're like, well, I mean, I guess you can just try a completely different style. And I'm like, but I don't want to try another style. So it was just this weird way that I just didn't feel at place or that I was able to really move further within, you know, my skill set as an artist. I think it's a much better space now, obviously, with things like Skillshare and YouTube and oh, yes. access to artists directly. And then you could always take my route where you start up a podcast and you just talk to artists. <laughs> That's another way <laughs> well, to learn. you're also ex- exceptionally skilled, too. Thank so you. So don't cut yourself short. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I started much later. So I didn't start till I was 40. So, um, yeah. But I've heard that a lot about art schools in, you know, a lot of them try to kind of I shouldn't say a lot of them I've heard some stories about people trying to beat it out of you that you're performing for the teacher the instructor instead of them kind of cultivating what you have and trying to push you beyond your comfort zone that's a hard experience to find it is it's a hard experience to find and it's really hard when you're just somebody who loves to create art and that's all you've done from sun up to sundown like most all of these young adolescents that go into college. And I think the thing is, is when you're that young of an adolescent, you're looking for somebody to help guide you. And when you're moving into a situation where you're all being judged against each other, you're essentially having to compete for the favoritism of a teacher to tell you that you're valid. That is the most destructive thing for any young artist to have to sit in front of a room to then be critiqued, which critiques are great. Everybody needs critique in their life because it only makes you better. Mm -hmm. But when you're that young and you're not understanding, you've never been in an environment like that, like it's brutal, you know, and it's, it's also harming. And I've talked with a lot of other artists that have gone there and they're like, it was a harming experience, (laughs) you know? And I think more so artists feel that way versus not sadly. Yeah. I think if I wanted to pull an audio clip, out of the show so far. I think that would be the one. <laughs> Cuz <Yeah. laughs> it's very true. 
And yeah, you're right. Critique is important, but um, you need to wrap that around something. It doesn't have to be soft, but um, yeah, it is. It it does sound a little bit scary, especially when you're paying the money that you're paying to to do all of that as well. Yeah, especially if you're going to a type of school that is a high caliber school. I mean, it's not they're private colleges, so it's extremely expensive. So when you're you're like, okay, great, I'm paying all of this money to get lambasted in front of a group of people, you know, and I think so many people that are artists anyway, are, we're already so self-critical of ourselves. Mm-hmm. So going and then putting yourself out there into that environment, you're like, crap, why did I, this is great for my self-esteem. That's already not a great self-esteem, you know? <laughs> so yeah, it's, it's tough. What would you say that you learned going to art school that's been a positive impact? Is there a couple of things that you can think about that, you know, if, if somebody's considering doing this differently, YouTube, Skillshare, whatever the case, what is it that you really felt was valuable for you as an artist in school that maybe they need to be aware of? The one thing that I learned the most out of art school and that I still give advice to people, because so many people that come to my lives, because I'm also on TikTok and, you know, I used to have six to 800 people watch my lives when it was like, like when I was really busy. And so, so many people would say, what is the one thing that you would give as advice? And I would always revert back to the one thing that was the positive experience for me from going to college for art was never judge yourself against others. The more you judge yourself against somebody else sitting next to you as an artist, the least growth you will experience. Because you're just going to look at the person who you perceive to be better than you are because they've been doing it longer you're going to look at that person and say, okay, I admire their work. That's great. But to judge it and say, I wish I was as good as you. Because so many young artists nowadays say, I wish I was as good as. Not, I'm skilled, and I someday hope to be as skilled as this person. So the biggest advice is never judge yourself against another artist because you're not going to allow yourself to grow. And that's the one thing that I learned while being at college is that I can't judge myself against somebody else because I'm me and what I do is different from somebody else. Mm -hmm. And if I want to be better at what it is that I do, I need to look at my own work, find out what's successful, find out what's not successful, and that's how I'm going to grow. So that's the one thing that I learned to be the most valuable outtake from going to art school. And the biggest advice I give to any young artist or aspiring artist. Yeah, I think... uh... That's really good advice because I run into it all the time on on Instagram or anywhere where you look at something and you're working on a barn owl and you look at somebody else's barn owl and it's like, ah, <laughs> yep. tear mine up. <laughs> I'm not doing this oh, yeah. anymore. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, I still struggle with it. I mean, I look at Vanessa Folly and I'm like, oh, my God, I wish I could be that good. But I'm like, you know what? Like, just focus, Cole. Don't, don't worry about trying to be somebody else. Be myself. <laughs> yeah, I think we need to uh, to be more positive. Like even just, you know, looking at your lives, I took out my colored pencils again in the last uh, three or four days and decided to play with them again. And it was, that's what I took from it instead of being intimidated by by your work or anyone else's. And I think that's what we need to do. Because, you know, I was in a, having a conversation with a few other artists where they were talking about perfection being a real issue for us. And I think, mm-hmm. isn't it arrogant of us to think that we know what perfection is, right? <laughs> to be 
to be able yep. to, to to define it and then measure ourselves against it and say that we are imperfect. Yeah, and I say to so many people because they're like, "Oh my God, your your level of skill is perfect," or that bar now you drew was perfect, or whatever it might be. They always tag the word perfect because mm-hmm. for them they use the word perfect because it seems unattainable to them. But I always, I I I, I hate. And I don't use that word a lot, but I, I hate when people put me up on this pedestal of like, you're a perfect artist. Cause I'm not, I mean, what you're seeing me do, I don't know if you've been on one of the lives where I literally like ripped up the piece of art or I'm like, okay, well this is going in the bin. Cause sometimes not everything works out. You know, I mean, I would say that there's a good 40 to 50% depending on my mood of work that doesn't work out versus work that does, you know? So I think people need to keep that in mind that it's okay to fail because the failure of a piece of artwork is only going to make you better for your next. Yeah. True enough. And I, yeah. And even just looking at a piece of work and thinking, you know, I nailed the beak or the eye is perfect on this one in my, you know, perfect's the wrong word, but I feel like I really nailed the eye and you could just put it away at that point and it's fine right yeah exactly you know and i think that's the thing we to be like you said arrogant enough to think that our what we create or want want to create something to be perfect is there's that level of arrogance and i think that's why i also work within the wildlife and animal kingdom because there's so many imperfections to each animal that allows them to be beautifully perfect in a way you know so yeah so you finish art school with a meh feeling about it did you transition into a job at that point and was it within your field so it's actually really funny so the first okay this i mean it sounds bad i mean my first job i ever had was after college i was lucky that my parents supported me during that process and so the first job i ever had was at one of those like paint and drink night things (laughs) so i was having to do these like really juvenile you know kind of paintings and teach these sometimes pretty drunk women how to you know paint a pretty little landscape scene and it was funny so that was my first experience my first job but then i started working within makeup actually um and so still an artistic form Mm -hmm. you know i was painting but on on a human absolutely and that's really where i took my job i started doing makeup artistry and then i became a regional artist for a brand i then worked for a brand called sisley cosmetics um, which is a french brand single family owned a beautiful skincare makeup lifestyle brand and i was their regional executive in the northeast territory and boston before i decided to exit that job and now be an artist full-time and move to austin texas That's awesome. Were you still drawing and creating while you were there? So I started doing art again the very first time as soon as our world shut down. And I was like, you know what? I haven't done it in a while. Let me pick it up. I started doodling again. And my best friend, um, Jennifer, who still lives in Boston, was like, you should start like one of those TikTok things. And I was like okay, like, let me just, I started showing art and I would do live drawing sessions. And then that kind of blew up into, you know, a couple hundred thousand 
followers. And that's really what catapulted me being able to do art as a career. Because when I started doing it, I never looked at it. And I still, to this day, don't look at it as it being my career. Like, I never wanted to go into it with a goal of having it be my job. Because I think that sometimes when you look at, especially as an artist, to think, hey, I want this to be my job, it's hard to make it happen. It's a lot of work and a lot of dedication to your craft. And an extremely, you have to be an extreme, through your branding, extroverted. And it's really hard sometimes for a lot of artists to be extroverted, to sell yourself and sell your work to make it a career. So I look at it as I'm lucky that people like to buy my art because that's what I do in my daytime. <laughs> that's that's how I kind of look at it. Yeah, I think I'm, I'm so glad that you are an artist and that you're not there because you create such wonderful work. And thank you. I, I know what you're saying. Like I, I still have a full-time job. So I work as a software developer in health research. That's my day job. Yeah. I'm doing all this stuff on the side. And I still have this concern about ever doing it full time because I feel that art is so close to our heart and our mind that if you fail at it, does that mean you're a failure? Like if if I fail at my job doing software development, it is just something I did, right? With it's just something yeah. like it's it's fine. It's a project. But if you f- yeah. fail at being an artist, there's that huge fear. Like do you do you have you had that? Do you have that sense that if I fail at this, I mean, you're 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 further, much further along. But when you first started, did you feel that it's not just a job? It's it's coal. Yeah, you know, and I think that's the hardest part. And just like you said, you know, it's if you get fired from a job or you get let go or you aren't good at uh, like going and serving somebody coffee. I can't think of anything else to say. It was the first thing that popped in my head. <laughs> that's but okay. if you're not good at doing that that's just a job there's millions of jobs that are out there right and so there's only one aspect that we truly share of ourselves and because art like you said is so close and so personal to each one of us because it truly encompasses who we are to put it out there to then not be perceived as good as i'm air quoting nobody you you're hearing me but you can't see me (laughs) but i'm air quoting to be perceived as a good artist okay that necessarily does not define who you are as an artist and that you are good or bad. It just means that there are sometimes this imperfect world that we live in to where not everybody appreciates an artistic craft or a handmade item, whether you are an artist who works with leather or you're an artist who works with fiber. There's so many different ways of being an artist out there to really share something so close to us and then see that people aren't looking at it or people aren't engaging with it and that what seems to be the perception to you that nobody wants to purchase into your brand, it's all based off of right time, right place, and somehow along the line, who you're going to meet that's going to give you the tools to be confident in, in yourself to be able to share it. You know, and when I used to have this conversation with my friend Jennifer, and this goes to show the point, when I started my TikTok, it took me forever to have people engage with my work. And I would sit there and be like, I guess like, I'm just not as good as I thought I was. Like maybe people just don't enjoy my stuff. And I was lucky enough that she was like, are you out of your dang mind? Like, (laughs) Stop thinking that way. 
you know, it's just going to take time and it's just going to be this one thing that you create and people are going to like go mad over it, you know, and that's going to get you the exposure. And, you know, it was that one video that I posted that became viral, got like 3 million views and it just blew me up. And then that's where business really kind of started trickling in, you know, and so never be afraid to show your art out of fear of not being successful in a mainstream critical world. Were you ever concerned about being successful? Yes. I still, I'm lucky that I've met a lot of friends through TikTok. So I have some really great friends like my friend Rockwell, Beck, Lorna, who pushed me to actually try doing colored pencil because I've only been doing it for like nine months. All of these people that I've come into play with that are extremely great at doing art, and then they will talk about how good I am when they're in front of their audience. And they'll always be like, oh my God, I admire Cole. Like he is so great at this. Like, and it always, I'm flattered, obviously. But the more people get to see my work, the more I kind of don't want to share it, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. It, I, and it's like, I kind of get teary eyed thinking about it now, but it's like, I do it so much for myself. You know, I don't really uh, do it to have other people enjoy it. I'm lucky that other people do enjoy it because that's how I can make my living now. But the more and more that people start to see me, the more and more people start to judge me. (laughs) And at the end of the day, you know, I can sit here and give all this advice of don't judge yourself against others. Don't listen to what people say because it's solely ourself and our own place to give ourself validation. It, I still battle it every day, whether or not somebody thinks I'm good, whether or not somebody doesn't think I'm good. So it plays a role on you. And I think that success and viewership and the amount of people that follow you are all trivial things. You know, I I appreciate every single person that is so supportive of me, but if it got wiped away today, would I be fine? Absolutely. Because it's for me. I like, like we mentioned, I can go find another job. I can go work for the company that I work for again. You know, if I don't want this to be my full-time job or if it gets too much for me and Sometimes it does. I mean, having a social media platform comes with a lot of negativity. Mm -hmm. (laughs) You know, I dealt with it today when somebody wanted to argue with me about how long a piece took me. I'm like, okay, well, since you're not the one who created it, thank you for your advice, (laughs) you know, but (laughs) it's tough the more success you get. It's easier sometimes to just be an unknown artist, to tell you the truth. That's been my fear. I I would rather somebody just tell me my art isn't good than... uh, because that, that that's a clear there's a clear pathway for resurrection there <laughs> i can manage that path but when right? somebody's talking to you about it when you were talking i can appreciate what you're saying because you know there's two concerns with being successful maybe one is that you lose yourself you lose your reasoning for doing it and the other is people get too close right and both of those pretty scary are very scary (laughs) yep as we say it at the same time that's true i mean i guard what i do so close to my heart and i'm very protective of it and for me the hardest part is that there's so many people and it's hard sometimes because i mean i don't i don't know if you necessarily say this i'm gonna i'm gonna give my statement and then ask you how you feel about it sometimes when people come and they're like oh that's cute 
oh, that's pretty. Oh, that's sweet. Like that's, that's not, in my opinion, the type of art that I do. And sometimes when you hear those things, you can say how you feel about it. You know, it's, you're like, ugh. <laughs> like, you know that they don't mean it with ill intent. Mm-hmm. But because it's something that's so innately important and embedded in you and what you do, that's why it's sometimes hard to share it. Because you're like, I'm going to put this out there and I'm pretty sure I'm not going to get the response that I want. You know, like, I don't want somebody to be like, oh my God, that's like so pretty. Like, I'm like, I'm drawing this one, you know, Eurasian buzzard perching on a tree stump, which is, you know, one of my favorites. And you can see his level of like, hunt in his eyes you can see the starvation because a lot of people think they just go and they're the predators and they catch everything all the time and they get so much food that's really not the case (laughs) it's it's a one out of like every 20 attempts you know to actually eat for them you can see the starvation in their eyes and i relate these things and want to relate them through my pieces of work so when somebody goes oh it's cute i'm like Mm. you know it's like a dagger in the heart because you're like people aren't getting what i'm conveying so the more you share it the less you're you know likely to get the response you're looking for and that's why it's hard for me to share it because i'm like it means something so much to me that if other people don't see it the way i perceive it then i failed at trying to render it have you ever done any kind of storytelling narrative around a piece where you talk about a piece I definitely do. Like in my lives, people will ask questions about it. And I'm like, oh, like I, I, I do it because of this. You know, there's, I think a lot of the times social media is clickbait, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, we're there to perceive something. So people getting, you know, enamored or, you know, captured by it and want to hit that follow. And we're hoping that follow turns into a purchase. So there's a lot of people that look at what I do and they think it's beautiful artwork. You know, and I'm so appreciative of that because I work so hard at doing what I do. But then there's the people that are truly wildlife fanatics that live it and breathe it and love it, right? So that's when it's easy to have that storytelling with people that, you know, engage with me in that aspect, you know, and love the types of animals that I do. So it's, I do storytell it, but, you know, admittedly, you're now making me think I probably don't do it as much as I should because I, I don't sometimes because I feel like people would get bored with that. And that's our own self-doubt, right? <laughs> so I have a, I've had a theme every year for the last three years. My theme for this 2022 is storytelling. So I'm very fixated on, am I always telling a story? I would love to watch a two-minute video, maybe a one-minute video of you with your finished piece talking about the background, telling me the story of that. Um, because I, th- I would welcome the opportunity to appreciate your work with you, but also to understand more about what, what you're drawing. I actually like that. Cause I remember seeing your, your post that said that your goal for 2022 was storytelling. And I, I immediately was like, I love that because I think that there's so many times that we don't right? And just like I was mentioning earlier, and it's that it's always that running thought process in my mind. And then it's also like that worry of how much do I want to like share, you know, mm-hmm. it's like, I want people to appreciate, but then I don't, you know, my friends in the art world, they're always, they always call me Birdman because I can literally look at a bird and tell you 
especially birds of prey, because that's what I love. So like hawks, falcons, eagles, um, all of those things. Um, I can literally look at it and tell you exactly what species it is, because I've studied that side of ornithology, and I love it so much. And that's why I pick a lot of the species that I do draw. So it's I know all of these things about them and their environments and how they live. So, you know, I think I'm going to challenge myself to, because I have a lot of birds of prey, <laughs> to <laughs> start to do some storytelling in that. I like that. So thank you. You've now given me some ideas. <laughs> <laughs> I'm being a bit selfish with that, but I would just love to hear you talk about that. And you do do it in your lives. So, uh, yeah. but it would be nice to have, it, it doesn't have to be, you know, a great video backdrop. It could just be the piece, but I would love to hear you talk about it. That'd be cool. Yeah, I'm actually going to do that. I'm going to start doing that in my stories on Instagram because then I can save it as a storytelling right. in like the little thing and then just pop each one of it into it. I like that. So you started the beginning of the pandemic moving into art that is now your job <laughs> is creating yeah. art. Yep. Yep. Uh, let's talk about your art uh, because you, you've, we t you've mentioned watercolor and colored pencil and um, oil painting and, and so on and so forth. So what are you, maybe what's been your journey through the pandemic? Uh, did you move like you're, you're doing, I, I see a lot of colored pencil now. So maybe talk about how you got there and, and why you're here now and, <laughs> versus watercolor. So it's funny. I my I originally started my channel with mostly focusing on watercolor on TikTok. Um, and that's really kind of what I wanted to delve back into again when the pandemic happened because I had missed it. And the one thing that I love about watercolor is that it is extremely free-flowing, obviously. And it allows itself to create a painting with keeping your thought process in mind. That's how I like to explain it. The watercolor is going to create the painting of what you have a vision for because you can't control it. Unless you're somebody who paints very opaquely with watercolor, you know, which a lot of people do. Like you have um, an amazing artist that I love, Alex Baranek. Like she's an amazing watercolorist and hers are very detailed. I work in the way of appreciating, especially the Daniel Smith watercolors, the type of granulation you can get with them and how they dry down and the pigments can separate. So I utilize that a lot to create the shape and form for me. And then I started delving into colored pencil because um, a friend of mine, Lorna, had said, you know what, give it a go. And I was like, ugh. I, and she's an amazing colored pencil artist, by the way. And so I was like, ugh, like, I don't know if I want to do colored pencil because we all have that preconceived notion of like Prismacolor and this wax pencil. And I'm like, I don't know. <laughs> or the Laurentian <laughs> sets that I used to get as Yeah, <laughs> Yeah, like a praying colored pencil set. Like all of these, like, you're like, oh, I'm like, no, like I know that you use like nice ones. She's like, listen, try the Faber-Costell and the Caran d'Ache brands. And I'm like, okay, fine. So of course you go out and you spend like hundreds of dollars in colored pencils <laughs> with the hopes that I'm going to be able to make something great and if not then you know my little nephews and niece love art so merry christmas so i started delving in colored pencil um the first one that i ever did was a a peregrine and i was like okay like let me go and i kind of started enjoying it because i i primarily use faber costell um, they're an oil-based brand german brand really beautiful colored pencils and the polychromos and the polychromos yep and so the polychromos are like my go-to. They're like literally scattered all over my table as we speak. <laughs> and so they just glide so beautifully together. And so I started and it went well. And so the first colored pencil commission I got was by one of my followers, 
Beth and her husband, Jim. She wanted her white lab done and her Frenchie. And this is my first delve ever into doing pet portraits. And I was like, okay. I started drawing that portrait on a live session. And all of a sudden I looked up at my phone and there was 1200 people watching me. And I was like, what is this? And then everybody's like, oh my God, you're an amazing colored pencil artist. And I'm like, but I'm not a colored pencil artist. Like now I feel like I'm an imposter. Cause I'm like, yeah, thank you. Like, great. I like love doing colored <laughs> pencils. Cause as artists, I'm, we all have those imposter syndromes sometimes. And so I like just started going with it and it kind of turned into me doing like so many of these, like it just blew up. I got so many emails through my website. I had like about 120 emails all wanting pet portraits. And I was like, good Lord, help me. Cause I didn't want to be a pet portrait artist and there's nothing wrong with being a pet portrait artist, but I didn't want to do something to make money that I didn't enjoy doing. That was always my thing. I'm like, if this is going to be my job, I don't want to do things that I'm not going to enjoy just to make money. Mm-hmm. But then I started getting some like really beautiful dogs. So I'm like, okay, I love German shepherds. I love Weimariners. Okay. Rhodesian Ridgebacks are really pretty. Like there's these purples and blues and browns. So I'm like, okay, like this isn't bad. I'm like, this is kind of cool. Like these are beautiful dogs. And then came some dogs that I don't appreciate. <laughs> and I'm like, Ooh, <laughs> And then it turns into, you know, them sending in like reference photos. And a lot of time people think that they're a great photo when the resolution is not great. And because of the type of work that I do, I was like, okay, this isn't like working out for me. And then it started to become like this struggle and I was not enjoying it. And then I made myself my promise for my 2022 resolution is to no longer accept commissions. And if I was going to accept a commission, it was only going to be within the wildlife artistry that I do. So if somebody is like, oh, I love wolves, that's great. If somebody loves foxes and birds of prey, like all these like beautiful, like little woodland creatures that I've been doing, like the mini series in. So I'm like, okay, great. Like that's what I'll do is like a commission, but I'm no longer going to do pet portraits because I just don't enjoy it. Mm -hmm. So that's how I kind of started getting involved in, you know, colored pencil work. And then so many people would see it. And then I was like, okay, let me do some like birds of prey and colored pencil and, you know, all of these other things. And so it's kind of like in my bag and my repertoire and I love it. Um, it's not a medium that I would be go to. That's, it wouldn't be my go-to medium, but it's kind of turned into being much of a commissioned medium. <laughs> so will you be doing colored pencil in five years? I hope not. Not that I don't how do I say this? It's not that I don't enjoy colored pencil. It just doesn't fulfill me when I'm doing work. Like for instance, like this colored pencil piece, sorry for those that can't see the tricolored heron. Like I absolutely love this piece, mm-hmm. you know? And I think for me, I've started to learn how I can really treat colored pencils as an oil painting if you layer and work through that burnished process and a lot of people are like, don't burnish too early, but I enjoy working in that manner because it allows me to push and make this kind of lyrical movement, you know, that you were talking in the beginning of this podcast. It allows me to do that. And I, I can treat it as I'm an oil painting because I use oil based pencils, but in five years, I definitely don't see myself really still like keeping it like in my repertoire. Maybe if I want to like go out and I'm doing like nature sketches, cause I enjoy doing that. Like mm-hmm. I can, I can utilize it for that. But for my body of work as a professional artist, no. 
and that's okay. It's okay for colored pencil to be a stop on the way to something else. And for other people, it's a destination. So that's okay. Yeah. Um, Because, I mean, you're doing amazing work. And I think as an artist, we need to explore and try different things. I painted with mushroom ink this year. I never would have thought about doing that last year. So (laughs) I think it's okay to play, right? And it is. And it's okay to play because you get to learn things that are new. And I've, I don't want to say that I've not enjoyed working with colored pencil because I've learned a lot. And I've also been able to learn things that I can take into other mediums. And so I think that's the one thing because a lot of people think, oh, well, if I'm working on this one medium, I can't utilize the same skill set in a different medium. And I think it's absolutely false. And I think that you can learn so much from each different medium on how you, like I've learned to really use charcoal and play with it in a, or I mean graphite and play with it in a different way now through using colored pencil. A hundred percent agree. I think the best thing for me as a graphite pencil artist has been colored pencil and watercolor for that matter. Yeah, totally. Yeah. It's us. It's so true because I think sometimes when we work with graphite, so many people look at it as obviously just drawing and you're either going dark or you're going light. But if you can utilize it in a way of working with watercolor where you're building different glazes and layers on top of each other, Mm -hmm. you can approach it in the same way of developing color theory. You can think of it the same way because we have the grayscale value for a reason, you know, there's a color theory to working with that the same way that we would work with all the colors of the rainbow that are out there possible within colored pencil. So I've learned a lot from it, you know, the same way that you have. Can I ask you about graphite just because you brought it up? Yeah. When you look at your pieces that you're drawing in graphite, are you seeing the colors? Yes. Awesome. So (laughs) it's really funny because I, I, my friend's going to be listening to this and I'm going to like bomb her out, but she, we were doing a live drawing session the other day together and she was like, oh, I'm, she was working in graphite. And so she was like, oh, I'm just like, I'm wanting to like pick up the brown. And I'm like, did you not transfer your photo into black and white? And she's like, oh, and then she started to feel like silly. And I was like, yeah, I mean, and you kind of have to, cause you learn through different ratios of working. But when I'm working in black and white, I know instinctively what these colors are and how to build to that shadow and contrast. So a lot of the times when you're flipping a photo into black and white, you lose a lot of its detailing, especially in the lighter areas and in the darkest of darks. Mm -hmm. And so you have to know your depths of fields. You have to know your color theory to be able to articulate it through graphite. And so when I am working on pieces like that, you know, like the Raisin Buzzard that was um, perched on the tree that I did. So much of his white belly was exposed that I'm like, it just looks so flat. So in my mind, I'm like, I know what coloring is there. It's going to be represented with blue, with green, with yellow from its talents, because everything's going to reflect through those colors. So yeah, I definitely do. And I say, if people want to be successful artists, I say you need to really understand color theory before anything else. Like proportions and line work and all of that can come at a later you know point but color theory is always the key point yeah it's um it's a very good point and i yeah i see color all the time when i'm doing graphite i and you're right because you end up either you don't get the depth if you don't embrace the color when you're doing graphite or you end up crushing everything so it sits down at the same level and uh, yeah yeah so i wanted to talk to you as well about 
kind of the tools that you're using. You mentioned the Faber-Castell Polychromos, which is a beautiful, I used the Prismacolor before that, and I yeah. just did not like that experience. <laughs> Beyond the LEDs no. always being broken, it was horrible working with a wax-based pencil. I, yep. It's hard to get the Caran d'Ache here, and, and I don't, I think I'm too, I'm not devoted enough to it to spend the money on it, even though Faber-Castell is not cheap. It is a beautiful pencil. The Caran d'Ache brand that I would say move into, if you were, I don't really use a lot of the Caran d'Ache luminates. They're an oil and a wax combo, and those are like the $7 like pencils. Yeah. The ones that are closest to the Faber-Castell pricing is the Pablos. I primarily use the Caran d'Ache Pablos in tandem with the Faber-Castell polychromos, because this is a pure oil base okay. the same way. And those are exceptional, and they're like the same pricing. So if you were to venture into Caran d'Ache, mm. give that a try. And if anybody loves colored pencil listening to, give give the Pablos a try. I would 100% choose those over the Luminance ones. <laughs> okay, that's good. Yeah. Yeah, I... Uh, I'll, I'll, okay, great. Now I have to do... Every time I have an yeah. artist out here, I end up leaving the episode <laughs> shopping. <laughs> oh my god everybody laughs at me they're like when we watch you we always go spend so much money <laughs> <laughs> but yeah between that those are you know my go-tos when i work with um graphite i love using the faber costell 9000 series okay as well as primarily the stettler mars lumograph black okay um those graphite pencils are really beautiful because they don't have that high kickback shine when you right. venture into your darkest shades. So I I love utilizing those for my darkest darks do in tandem. You, so do you use the wide range, like the full range of, of graphite? I do, yeah. For me, well, so I use F pencil. I love F because it's an extremely hard lead. So when you look at the scale, you have like your 1B and then you can go H's to mm-hmm. F's, which the harder the lead, the less color you see, which it's confusing. I know <laughs> like it still confuses me to this day. The darkest of the darks obviously are like our softest and the most pigmented and rich in saturation. Um, my primarily ones are an F because I use that to really give my lightest kind of washes of color, Mm -hmm. um, how I would utilize like watercolor. Um, And then I use HB. HB I heavily use because I can go from HB to 3B without getting too much of that high shine. And then I use the 4B and then I use a 6B. And those I use in the Stettler Mars Lemograph Black. Yeah, I've got a set of those. Those are beautiful pencils when you get to the darks. They're so beautiful. And you know what it is? Because I, I love charcoal, but I hate the messiness of charcoal. Mm-hmm. And I hate how you really can't be, unless you're working on a large scale, you really can't get too detailed. Like you just, you can't. <laughs> and so, because if you want to get hard and sharp detail, you have to push hard. And if you go to blend, you have you have too much pigment and then it goes dark and muddy and blech. The thing that I love about the Mars, uh, or I mean the Stettler um, Mars Lumograph Black, is because they have a combination of carbon and graphite, and that's what creates that matte black. And so they give you that richness of looking like you're drawing with charcoal, but without the depravity and insanity of trying to make something, you know, detailed. Because I, I go insane over those bits too much. Now, do you have a special sharpener that you use? I do. And this thing, literally, I feel bad for those that can't see it. But if you use it, you'll know that it's the size of a milk carton. <laughs> um, it is the Aftmat sharpener. Um, it is an electric one. You can get a short 
point and your long point. Nice. So that is like my go-to, um, and I use it on the shorter point, which is still very long um, and gives you a really sharp, sharp. On things that are smaller and I want extreme sharp detail, my go-to is the Statler Mars Lumograph sharpener, handheld. Um, it gets you an extremely, extremely sharp tip that stays sharp for a much longer period. So those are the two sharpeners that I love. And do you do you spend effort uh, lifting any graphite off? Do you use like blue tack or a, a need, needed eraser or needable eraser? So I use a needable eraser like some people use stress balls. So the whole time during <laughs> this um, interview, I've been playing with my little <laughs> needed eraser. Um, it is my go-to to definitely lift pigment off. Another one that I love, because when I do graphite work, I work subtractive and additive. I work between the two. That's good. So I use my kneaded eraser and my mono zero mm-hmm. at the very smallest. Um, so that one gives me like I can get feather detail with that, fur detail with it. Yeah. So those are like the two that I go to. Because my problem is, is when you use a normal eraser, like that crap gets everywhere. And then sometimes you have to use a brush. And the more time you use right. a brush to get your eraser bits off, the more pigment you get on it, which then muddies everything. So I use this and then I use my little sharp end to like dab up on my little eraser bits nice. <laughs> with um with the needed eraser. That's awesome. I uh I feel we're connected and, now because I yeah, have right? a lot of the same tools. Yeah. I'm like stress ball, stress ball. Sometimes I will find them in my jacket pockets, which is really bad. Yep. Sometimes it'll be in the washing machine. I took one workshop and uh the whole time uh so I, I use something called blue tech, which is uh, mm-hmm. similar to a needable eraser and yep. uh we got it as part of the kit and the whole time the instructor for three days in the workshop the only workshop i've ever taken he was pl- he had it in his hand playing with it the whole time and he's like you have to do this to soften it up like yep you have to and it's like then it just starts to become like butter yes. and it's amazing i mean i can literally and i've done it and this is the, the one thing I love about working on subtractive is you can literally use an eraser to do your entire drawing. Mm-hmm. So I will sometimes tone my own paper. The only paper that I will ever draw with and that I use, because I absolutely love it, is the Arches Hot Press. Um, it is my go-to. Um, so I can sometimes just tone my own paper, and then I can just use this to add, like subtract everything, and I can do like an entire drawing. You know, With that, I one time did this really beautiful rendition of a wing when I was in college where I toned the paper to like a 4B tone. And then I just used the whole needed eraser to make this really beautiful, like luminescent wing. Kind of like I was like doing the wing of like, you know, Michael the Archangel. And it was, it was a beautiful piece. That's uh, that's wonderful. I haven't tried that kind of scale, but um, people need to, I think, explore that subtractive Instead of just thinking that I have to create by laying down material, that sometimes lifting it off is is the exciting part. Yeah, and I think sometimes, like, that's the reason why I honestly say that Vermeer and Rembrandt are, like, my two favorite artists. Because their version of capturing light is superior to any artist. I mean, you know, John Singer Sargent was also an amazing, he's an American artist, um, beautiful with capturing light and all of that. But there's that beauty that you can really get with being a subtractive artist. And that's through working in that manner. You can really capture light and to look at something through a light aspect versus shadow is a completely different skill set. That's really hard to do. (laughs) 
That's wonderful. And uh, you answered my next question, which was what paper do you use? So are you using the Arches Hot Press for both watercolor and graphite? Or not watercolor, uh, colored pencil. Yes, for colored pencil and graphite, I use the Arches 140 pound, so 300 grams um, hot press um, is like my go-to paper for pretty much everything. Um, Sometimes I will use the Arches Hot Press and the 300 pound, so 640 grams for charcoal pieces. Um, I mean, graphite pieces as well. Sometimes they, it works really beautifully. Um, it's kind of like drawing on suede in a way. Right. And if you were sketching the sketchbook, would you have a different thought about the paper you'd use there? Um, yes. So I do like the Fabriano sketchbooks because it does get that similar kind of texture. There's this beautiful velvet texture that Arches has. I mean, it literally makes me happy. When I get it, I could literally just rub my hands over the paper because it feels <laughs> it's weird and it's so funny because I've you know told a lot of artists to give it a try and they're like, oh my God, you're so right. Like there is just this crushed velvet texture to it that mm-hmm. is just so luxurious. <laughs> the only thing that's close to it would be the Fabriano Artistico um, paper. So I'll use those for sketchbooks. Um, I have not drawn in a sketchbook in a very long time, which makes me quite sad. So that's my homework, is to go to a sketchbook. <laughs> well, I, I was trying to find a sketchbook, a bound sketchbook, not a spiral bound, but um, mm-hmm. a glued uh, one. Yeah. And I ended up settling on the Etcher hot press yeah. sketchbook. And that has been beautiful because I was able to play with graphite colored pencil and watercolor all in the same book ah. without any warping or anything like that. And they come in three sizes, A6, A4. I really had a challenge in finding a hot press paper because I, I tend to bring a bit too much when I go out and do plein air or just go out sketching. I, I bring my colored pencils, I bring my graphite, I bring my watercolor. I don't oh know what God, I'm going to yeah. do. It's so bad. It's like I need a suitcase just to go <laughs> on a drawing session. It's really bad. Yeah, it's. Um... Yeah, I'm the same. But I'm going to give the Etcher one a try because I. It's really bad. I'm a collector of sketchbooks and I never draw on them. I don't know what my problem is. It's like it's like a drug of choice. I don't know why I collect them and I buy them, but I never use them, and it's weird. But I've really been wanting to, especially now that we've moved to Austin, because it's. This is what's nice because I, you know, being kind of like near where you were in Boston, winter is horrible. But literally today, I went to go to Michael's to go grab some pens. And I was driving with my windows down because it was 67 degrees today. And I'm like, this will be nice. And we literally live right on the lake. And it's like this beautiful environment. So I really need to start. Because when I go out into nature, I sketch nature. Like, that's that's what I love to do. I just don't make it a body of my work. But Mm -hmm. yeah. So I, I need to start doing it again with my plethora of sketchbooks. So now, thank you. <laughs> to Mike, I'm going to be going and getting my 1200 sketchbook, and hopefully I'll use this one. You can see it over my shoulder there on my bookshelf. Those are the uh, <laughs> the, the etchers. Oh my god! Yeah, they're uh, they're fun. As I say, like for me, it was the book that could do it all, and and they have a cold press, and their cold press paper is incredible as well. Like it's mm-hmm. once again, it's a it's it's 300 GSM, same as the hot press, but it is the texture, yep. and it's wonderful. Um, awesome. so I highly recommend. I want to ask you about when you're creating a piece, your process around that. Are you doing an initial sketch? Is there a part of the animal that you focus on first? I just love hearing that kind of experience. Yeah, so for me, 
When it comes to creating something, the first thing that I think of is what captures me and what captivates me. And I need sometimes a level of aggression within the animal that I choose. Not like I not like the naive way of thinking of like aggression as I'm like angry, like but like aggression and like there is an intent for me in most cases with these wild animals cause harm to this other animal because I need to live. And so those are really the first things that I think about. And when I go to create my process, I do a very light, you know, sketching so I can get proportionary accuracies, stuff like that. If I'm doing a smaller piece, I do it by eye and hand. If it's a larger piece, I will use the drawing app um, DaVinci Code something DBE and it you can look at your phone above like your thing if you have your stand and I can kind of trace the outline of it. Oh, I didn't know about that. Yeah, that thing's awesome. You can kind of go up to like a, you can get to like a 16 by 20 of an image if you're sketching it on there, which is nice and it makes it so much easier and quicker. And then the first thing I do is I focus on the eyes and the face of the actual animal because I can go through drawing its body you know, if, let's say if I'm drawing a wolf, right? Like I can do its fur patterns, all of this. But then by the time I get to, if I'm doing it as my last step, if I don't get it accurate right, it does not fit the entire mood. Like the mood of the drawing and the piece has to be first captured through the eyes of the animal because that is setting the intent that the rest of my drawing will kind of fall in place with. That's a good way to approach it. I never really thought about that. I think the... Um... When I look at the eyes, I was joke because I, I did a woodpecker, a um, pileated woodpecker a while ago, a few years ago, and I joked with my wife that you know I knew I was done when it winked at me. I I've, right? <laughs> I feel at some point once you uncover the eyes, it starts to speak to you, and it it it, yeah. it and it sounds kind of weird saying it, but it kind of it it teaches you a little bit of how it wants to be exposed through the paper. Yeah. Like while we're sitting here, I'm, this is a current one that I'm working on. Beautiful. I'll link to what uh, we're I'm looking a northern at. Northern goshawk. <laughs> do you have a Do you have a work in progress of this in your? Um, I will post a work in progress after we do this on my Instagram. Okay, so, so you can link it. Okay, I will. Link <laughs> um, it. It's beautiful. But it's a northern goshawk, and you can just see the stare in that bird's eye. You know, and it's that sets the mood because how it's looking at something is why it has its posture. Right. And so if I draw its posture and it looks like it's ready to attack, but then I like get up to it and it's like a smiling eye, you're like, these things don't correlate. This one's just like a happy bird staring at a tree, you know, like it, you have to capture it from the very beginning of it. And I think that's true in most cases with animals in general, you know, no matter what it is that you're working on, if you can't capture its eyes, you're not capturing its emotion and its intent. So yeah, that's where I always start. Is a goshawk consuming things like small rodents and things like that? Yep, small rodents. They sometimes like birds, like pigeons, um, okay. those types of things. But mostly it's, you know, more, I would say, woodland creatures. So when I look at the eyes, it should force me to be the mouse. <laughs> that's the reaction yep, you want. exactly. Right? Okay. You need to be scared as... S-H-I-T, when you look at this part. <laughs> yeah, that's that's the mood I'm creating. <laughs> that's awesome. That's good, and I'll include a link to the app, because I, um, and, you know, maybe that's the other point that will come up with some people, is it's not 
cheating if it's going to save you some time on a larger image. Like it, if you can draw, you can draw. I'll, everybody has done this, whether it's using a grid or um, the you know doing a printout and then you know coating a back of a piece of paper with graphite and doing a trace and yep. all that. Everybody's done that. Kind Literally, of thing. every single old master traced every single image that they did. They all had the light boxes that they were able to draw from, you know? And so I don't know if you've seen the movie, but um, I forget the exact title. It's about Vermeer. Um, and it's about this guy that goes on this quest to duplicate a Vermeer piece of artwork. And he uses that like box that you look at and it reverts the image and how you, he goes through the whole step of how Vermeer did it. And you literally can put them next to each other and they look like the same painting. And he's never done art before. Wow. You know, and it's like, if you can set yourself up to have the fundamental shape, proportions, perspectives, no matter what you're doing, it's giving you access to be able to articulate something in the manner that you want to. So when I hear these people that are like, oh, tracing's cheating, or it's like, jump off, jump off it. Like, I mean, every old master has done it from the creation of time. Mm -hmm. Like, how do you think that they were able to create these works? You know, a lot of them. And so there's, and for every single person who says that they don't use like some type of a form of duplication, whether it be tracing or whether it be carbon paper transfer, like you're lying. <laughs> like, I'm sorry. Like, I'm just going to call it how I call it, um, which sometimes gets me in trouble, but like you're lying for somebody to say that they've like never traced something and they don't utilize it in their form of art. That's you're lying. <laughs> yeah. Like it's at some point you end up using it minor smaller scale i don't use it as much i've used it on a larger few couple of pieces yeah. that i've done as well but i think it's you, you still have to be a great artist to pull it off like it's you're not yeah you know the, the proportions are important but there's always some embellishment that happens as you start working on it and you know yeah. i think you were talking in one of your lives where you weren't even looking at the reference anymore when you were working on a segment of it because we develop an inventory in our mind of what certain shapes look like and if you do enough birds, yeah. and so you see beaks, mm -hmm. you see bird eyes, then you can start building on that inventory. But when you do your first 20, oh, yeah. <laughs> you don't have much to work with, right? Exactly. Yeah. yeah, exactly. And just like with the image of the northern goshawk, if you looked at the reference image versus this, they're two completely different birds. Like, it looks nothing like that one like i've added more texture and depth and pattern within it's like feathers on its lower neck and it's like barring and so it's you want to utilize it i mean obviously you can be like hi i'm doing a portrait right now of mike and i'm just going to look at him but then now i'm going to go paint my own thing because it's not going to be mike right mm -hmm. so there's times that you have to innately follow every aspect of what reference you're painting from to give your own interpretation of it but Nobody's going to know what the hell this goshawk looks like. Nobody's going to know what the Eurasian buzzard, because that Eurasian buzzard looks like a different one, looks like a different one, looks like a different one. You know, so it's, I use it to get my proportions, but then there comes a point in the drawing when I don't even look at the photo because I've studied these birds for so long and that I, I love them so innately that it doesn't matter if I place the feather here or place the feather there. Yeah, I think it's uh, people shouldn't be scared to try this, and if they haven't already, and 
Yeah. So have you ever ventured into things like digital? So it's actually really funny that you say this because I just two days ago downloaded Procreate, got myself a little iPen pencil, and I started doing digital art. And um, it's been unique. <laughs> um, <laughs> so kind. It, it's gone better than I thought it has, honestly. You know, I just did like the dilly dally of like a snow covered pine tree and like a snowy field type thing. But like, I'm starting to get it more. So yes, I have ventured into it. And I'm going to solely use it as like fun for me. You know, and I wanted to do something for myself this year that would be just for me, not mm. be included in my body of work. Because I think for me, I approach art from very much a business aspect because that's my background. So, you know, I've now I'm going to be reframing my shop and the new year. So I just want to like focus that on being something for me. Yeah, it's um, that's good. I, I, I saw your post, to be honest, about Procreate, and you were, I think you're asking about brushes, maybe. Yeah. And I, I had a whole response, and it's like, <laughs> I, I'll, I'll just wait because I've, I've been using Procreate for th- three years, and I yeah. think I have all the brushes. <laughs> yeah. It, What's your favorite one? I love, um, so I had a, a a guest on here, Max Ulichny, and he makes his own brushes. So if you search for oh. Max Packs, a P-A-C-K-S, he has, I forget what the latest one is, uh, but it uses the, the brush engine from Procreate 5. And they're just beautiful to like sketch with. It's a very painterly feel. Um, okay. I'll, I'll include a link in the show notes as, as well as to everything Perfect. else you mentioned, but Max makes some wonderful brushes. If you wanted some nature brushes, like if you wanted a foliage brush or an elephant skin brush, uh, Aaron Blaise, who, who's worked for Disney, uh, you can yep. import Photoshop brushes and his are really, yeah. usually really cheap. But uh, yeah, I wanted to download a few of his cause I, I love him. I've been following him for a while. I, when he does like his like little releases for uh, wildlife references, I I purchase quite a bit of them. Not too many. I mean, I still I work with a lot of photographers through Instagram, um, and I've been very blessed and fortunate for that. Um, but yeah, I I love Aaron Blaze. So I've been wanting to like watch more of his tutorials because I'm like, that was my problem. I was trying all the brushes. The only one that I've kind of found right now that I actually like is the gouache brush. That one I really like. It's painterly, but not too much. Like I tried the oil painting brush and I'm like, this doesn't work. And I'm like, Mm -hmm. I tried drawing with the pencils and I was like, what? I'm like, this is not even, no. I'm like, so yeah, it's trying to find those things. So I'm definitely going to look at that. So thank you for that recommendation. Yeah, I'll uh, I'll send you the links um, after we speak. And uh, yeah, yeah, it's everybody has their own thing, right? Like I I don't mind, I think the 6B pencil that comes with it, but I've got one, I think Mm -hmm. it's called a a Nahinder pencil um, that I really like. And then Max has one in in one of his sets that is a beautiful pencil as well. And Max is going to be disappointed. I don't remember the name, but, uh, (laughs) but he has um, a few sets and um, it's, it's his latest one. So if you're listening to this and you want to know what it is, I will include it with its proper name in the show notes. But um, yeah. yeah. And I think the other thing that I've been playing with since you've got an iPad and you're playing with that too is, um, and I don't know if you have an interest in this, but is, is the 3d sculpting. Ooh. And, there's a there's an app called Nomad Sculpt and it is a lot of fun. I'm I'm actually 
And the reason I'm interested in it is I want to, I like the idea of maquettes, like James Gurney does a lot of maquettes for the pieces mm-hmm. he's working on. I wanted to do digital yeah. ones so I could play with light on something that I've created. And Nomad Sculpt is actually pretty interesting to use in creating, like I'm, I'm trying to do like a weird frog thing right now. And uh, it's a lot of fun. So if you... <laughs> no, I'm definitely going to look at that too. Because I, that's the thing. It's like, I want, there's so many different ways of doing art, right? And I think that that, there's never one size fits all type of thing so i there's so many things that i've wanted to find for myself that i can just enjoy doing because it's i'm lucky that i was able to at the end of this year before taxes invest a lot into my business mm-hmm. um you know i bought a brand new like printer and stuff like that and a new computer so i'm investing into my business so with that i'm like okay I want to take like the next two months to just take time for myself and not worry about cells and stuff like that. So I can just do me again because I haven't really been able to just enjoy that as of lately because it's been a very busy year, mm-hmm. the past year, which I'm blessed and very fortunate for. But it's time to just like find things that we enjoy, right? Just right. like with Nomad Sculpt and, you know, trying all these new things. So. Yeah, I think we can, it's okay, like, we need to be curious, we need to play, because sometimes it's not the medium you've chosen or the app, it's maybe the people along the way that you've, that you were intended to meet, like, it's, and so just being open to that is a good, a good, a good experience. So you mentioned yeah. the printer, I wanted to mm-hmm. talk about the printer, because we have the same one. <laughs> yep. And I'm wondering, you've had it a little while, what is your feeling on it? I literally could not live without this thing now i'm like how (laughs) on earth and listen i mean there's so it's it's a it took me a year to figure out what printer i wanted to use because there's so many different options and so it was so overwhelming that i would just go to like my local print shop and you know i would i really liked my prints they were done well but you know you try the online ordering of your prints you never know what you're going to get you can't control everything from like start to finish you literally can control every single aspect of your printing process with this printer that I literally could show you as like, and you know, you can literally do a side-by-side comparison and I would not even know which one was my real drawing versus which one was printed. It is the best machine that I've ever had. The only problem that I'm like, I don't know if you faced it sometimes, like you do have to clean your printer head quite a bit. Cause sometimes like, cause I am now doing some like larger ones, larger printings. Cause moving forward in the new year, I'm only going to offer two sizes, a 12 by 16 and a 16 by 20. So sometimes when it's printing, it'll like spit off like a little drop of ink. And I'm like, there goes a wasted, really expensive piece of paper, but right. you know, but it's honestly the best printer I've ever had. Yeah. And this is the Epson P 900 is the one we're talking mm-hmm. about. Yeah. It'll do, is it 17 or 15? 17, 17 by 22 inch. The thing that I love about it is that I could literally go by Crescent board. You have a front load, a back load, you have a roll load, you can do a top load. It's literally the most amazing thing. I've been printing on my arches um, paper and it literally is so beautiful. I'm like, oh my God. It's stunning. Yeah, I so. I bought it because my printer is a good friend of mine. That's what he uses. So if you wanted to get Giclée prints from him, 
he would print it on a P900. So I looked it up and I'm ah, like, okay. you know what? I'm just going to do it because that's archival link. And mm-hmm. I, I was using the Epson paper and I'll include a link to it. I, I don't know what you use for your graphite work, but I switched to the Hanamule watercolor paper, which you know, you talk about the texture. When I when I t- yeah. opened this Hanamule paper, which I've been sitting on for a month, because I, I wasn't really doing watercolors, so I did my mushroom ink prints on yeah. this paper. And as soon as I opened it, ran my hand over yep. it, that I laid a piece on my desk for a few days, and I just reached over and touched it during the day. Yeah. Is it the German etching one? No, it's... Um, so I just reached over and grabbed it. It is the William Turner textured. Ah. And it's just 8 by 10 so that's why I wasn't sure about the width because I print smaller but as soon as I took it out it was like oh but you use the German yeah. etching so I have a friend of mine gave me a sheet to try I didn't like it <laughs> I really wanted to because I was like I can print like some really beautiful like watercolor and colored pencil works and like it'll look like really cool but I hated it the paper that I actually love and this is the reason why I'm like okay that one's textured like would it feel like if you were doing like the arches, like hot press, like, or I mean, cold press, like how it has that kind of like a little bit of like a beaded texture? Yep. Yeah. It's, yeah. If you, you won't be able to see it in here, but this, this is done on that. Mm, yeah. Paper. The textured kind. Yeah. So I'm holding it. Yep. I'm holding a print of my, my mushroom ink in, in front of yep. Cole here, but it has <laughs> like, it just, it, it almost wants to, when you, when you kind of roll your finger over it, it almost wants to hold you like it, it, mm. I can't. I just want to touch it. And these are, so it's 310 GSM and it's not cheap okay. paper, but no, it is beautiful paper. Yeah. I'll, I'll definitely look into that. I've been printing so far on the, the arches. So for this piece I printed, oh, so I printed this one. This is the one that like spit ink all over the place. This okay. one is the one that's on the arches, the um, cold press. Okay. 140. So see how it has that like kind of texture mm-hmm. to it too. So on my watercolor and some of my colored pencil pieces, I've done that. And then the other ones that I've done is the just the regular Arches Hot Press okay. that I've done prints on. Yeah, it is uh, It is empowering. I mean, it is it is not a cheap solution, and there are good printers out there. No. And it's hard finding an online printer. I, I just wanted to do it right and wanted to be able to do it myself because I, I don't know. I, I, I think it's special. It's special that yep. you created, you drew it, and then you created this output that you yep. in turn sign or whatever yeah. the case, but yeah. And I think that's the thing that's amazing about and why I wanted to do it, because I'm like, okay, I'm now venturing into a new realm, and I'll just say it. I mean, if people look at my work, they're going to find out what my prices are anyway, but for my larger, now I'm moving forward, because I'm like, you know what, like, I've sold prints, I've done well, I'm now in charge of this amazing, beautiful machine, like, my image quality is so much better. I'm like, you know what, I'm for my 12 by 16, I'm going to charge 175 And for my 16 by 20s um, that I'm going to be printing on or up to 17 by 22, those are going to be 225 a print, you know. And because you are getting something so exceptionally mm-hmm. made, I mean, it literally looks like the original piece of artwork, like you can attest to. And so, like, you know what, I'm going to invest in myself. Like you said, it's not a cheap investment to do it, but when you can control the fact that you drew it and the output that you get from printing it, it just is so rewarding. And like when you see it printed, you it's like 
that little kid on like Christmas morning, you're like, Oh my God, I can't believe like, it's, it's so great. <laughs> you know, and you get like super excited about it. So, yeah. Yeah. And it does take a few test prints with every new piece, right? Just to get it just right. And yeah. so, yeah. Yeah. And it took me a while to get like the form and formatting of things down. Like I've been able to format things like through my, you know, Adobe and design and Photoshop and stuff like that. But I kept, I wasted so many packs of cards because I'm starting some greeting cards with some of my pieces of works. And even though it looks like this on the screen and it's a bifold one, Mm -hmm. you have to make sure you load it like this. The amount of pages, like I wasted trying to figure out how it is that you load it and make sure that it's like done properly. It's a learning curve, but you know, it's, it's definitely well worth it when you get it right. I'm going to keep in touch with you. I'd love to converse more about the whole printing and the cards and all that as well. Yeah. Yeah. That would be fun. Mm -hmm. So I wanted to talk to you about your opening a shop. Mm -hmm. You've got an online shop where people can buy your work. How's that experience been for you? So horrible when it first started, because the first thing that I did was Etsy. And I will tell you, I don't like Etsy. (laughs) That's okay. I mean, it's it's convenient for your first shop. And it's convenient. My problem with it is that it's if you really want your shop to work for you, then Etsy's probably not the best place, unless you're paying for embedded advertisements and all of those types of things. Mm -hmm. But I work through Squarespace. I absolutely love it. I have my own domain, which is really nice. And like my whole... Like everything is set up through it. It is the most streamlined, amazing thing. You know, I work through doing the SEO. So I get a lot of business outside of my social media platforms, which is good. And is it a flat fee with Squarespace? So Squarespace is a flat fee. You pay for it for the month. That's all you pay. The only thing is that you have your Stripe. Right. Stripe's embedded through it, or you can do PayPal. I don't do PayPal. And so you pay like a little fee for your Stripe as well, but everything is built in. So it makes it so much easier to understand what your like bottom line profitability will be. Unlike an Etsy where you have to pay your listing fee and then a relisting fee and then a seller fee and then a thank you for looking at my page fee. (laughs) Like it's just, there's so much. And it's, I mean, it's still not a lot of money that you pay, but it's just, it's so much easier through Squarespace and I've had nothing but a great experience with it. And for those that want, like you can, there's pre-made templates, stuff like that. I was very lucky that my friend Farrah Monday, um, which she'll be listening to this. I always thank her because she, you know, does web design. So she actually, I told her which template I wanted and gave her all my stuff and she made it for me in like three days. So I didn't have to build it myself, which is amazing. All I traded was a pet commission, you know, so I, if I had to build it myself, I probably would be really frustrated because I'm not very tech savvy, sadly. So yeah, I have to do the whole Google search or the YouTube tutorial watching, you know, but yeah, I'm not like the best at building things like that. So, but since I've had it, it's been great. It, you know, I have my you know, commission inquiry page, like it, it's, it's really easy and very navigable. So yeah. Yeah. I would agree with you and your comments about Etsy. I, 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 got to the point of finally opening a store and it's like, I can't do this. This is too complicated. I'm as I'm tech is my job and it's just too much little fees here and there left and right. It didn't seem like the integrations were what I wanted. So I ended up going with Shopify, which is 
a similar experience to Squarespace yeah. where it's a single fee and then there's a transaction fee and mm-hmm. it's just nice. So you don't have to, th- you don't yeah. have to worry about that part of your business. Exactly. And I think that's the thing that's nice about it. Cause even like, I don't know about you, but it's like, it took me about like four hours just to figure out how to offer different sizes of prints through Etsy. Like, and to try to like Google search the information, there is no information out there mm-hmm. that tells you. So it's, I was like, you know what? Bye. I'm good. I'm good at C. Thank you. (laughs) Well, and the other complication too is, is like the shipping, like especially in Canada, it is so expensive to use shipping, but I started using the service called chit chats, which allows you to print USPS labels onto your uh, package. And then you drop it off and they carry it across the border or whatever they do. (laughs) And then they drop it into the USPS system and it's cheaper and faster. Um, So it's being an artist full time. I can appreciate not that I am, but, being creative and being a business person at the same time is is complicated it it's extremely complicated and it's probably i would say a good 70 percent of our job (laughs) all the like ancillary stuff that you have to do a lot more than i expected because i sometimes like i mentioned in the beginning i like to romanticize life and so I came from this like happy go lucky way of being like, great, I'm just going to like sell it and people will pay me. And it's like easy. No, <laughs> nope. It's a lot. It's a lot of work, but it's worth it. I wanted to talk a little bit more about social media. We've talked about it a little bit. Um, mm-hmm. And what I like about you is that you do so many live draws, which is a great experience for the user to be able to watch an artist at work and be able to ask questions. But you also post works in progress. And so I'm not looking at a gallery. I'm looking at a working artist peering into to what they do day to day. And I love that. I'm wondering, what's your experience been with social media? You, you know, mindful of what we've spoken about in a way that would help another artist in leveraging it for what they're doing. I think the thing that we need to learn about social media is we need to first find the root idea and the root reason as to what we're wanting to use it for, right? So for me, social media is a tool for me to have business. We are very lucky that we now live in this platform in this day and age to where I don't have to go put my artwork in a gallery to be a working artist. Um, I'm very lucky that I've sold stuff all over the world. I've pretty much hit every major continent, um, you know, in a lot of different countries. And because we had this platform for people to engage with us. You're going to have a lot of the accounts that are going to have lots and lots and lots of followers that are those gallery-driven places, social media for people to end up onto the platform and look at this beautiful array. I approached social media as I want people to see the inner workings of being a working artist. And a lot of people steer clear from it because it is messy. It's not finished. It looks rough and that necessarily doesn't always follow the clickbait of why people have social media i created social media because i wanted people to see my work i didn't i don't create a social media and so many people say this to me how'd you get so many followers how'd you like grow so quick i grew quick because i was myself i didn't focus on a number i don't i can have on TikTok, 162,000 followers, but are 162,000 people buying my work? No. I can have 23,000 followers on Instagram, but are 23,000 people buying my work? No. <laughs> you know, I 
I don't approach it that way. I, I, I approach it as I want people to get to know me. And I think some of the reason why I've been successful through social media is because I allow people into my world and I want to give advice. And that's why I do so many lives. I want people to see the process of it, which is why I do so many lives. And people want to see how something was created. They want the finished product because it's beautiful, you know, mm-hmm. but they want to see how it's created. So if you're not showing people how it's created, they're going to see something pretty and then click the follow button. And how often are they going to come back to you? How are they going to give you engagement? How How is that experience going to be between you and them? I, I want my followers to get to know me. I want people to ask me questions. I've been dabbling with creating a Patreon account. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Scares the bejesus out of me because um, it goes back to that, what is success and what is failure mm-hmm. <laughs> conversation with ourselves. But I want a place for young artists to come, to learn, to be able to ask questions and to watch and grow because I did that on my own. I was lucky by the time I got to high school, I got to study with somebody. But there are so many young adolescents that maybe don't have supportive parents, you know, don't have an outlet for them to get to express it. So if I can give that to somebody, whether it be an adult or a child, that's what I have my social media for. So yeah, I, I like for people to see every aspect. That's what That was going to be my next question is you ever have you ever thought about teaching? And obviously you have. So I have. (laughs) It goes into that thing of like, who am I to teach somebody something, right? I never find myself to be a fully, I haven't gotten to my artistic ability where I'm like a hard stop and there's nothing else that I can learn and grow from, right? So like, I have that internal monologue of being like, who am I to tell somebody how to do something, right? Like what makes my way better than some other people's way? But I think for me, the reason why I've thought about it is because I've had a lot of my art friends that I've met along the way that have been like, I never thought about that until you said it. And because I've tried it that way now, it's made it so much easier for me to accomplish A, B, C, or D. And because for me, I constantly try to find something new I try to improve my skill set. I try to find things that are quicker and easier for me because as a full working artist, like I need to sometimes produce things quickly without losing the integrity of the work. And so, you know, I'm constantly trying to find those things. So I think that that's why I'm going to venture into doing a Patreon. But I want it to be kind of the way that you we talked about in the beginning. I want... Um, I don't know if you follow the artist Sylvie Madal. She is this amazing pencil artist. She is so skilled. She does human portraits. She has the most calming voice that you have ever heard. But hers is like an internal monologue of how she approaches work. It's the storytelling through talking people a little bit. Maybe like 30% of the talking is technique and stuff like that. The other is like that internal monologue as an artist and how you have to work through things. And I kind of want to approach it in that way, more of that storytelling of why I'm doing this piece and how I build shape. And then this this back and forth monologue with myself and the viewer, kind of like a podcast of a Patreon, I guess you would say. Like that's kind of how 
I, I want it to be. Um, I don't want it to be just this sped up and then slowed down. This is what I'm doing sped up and then slowed down. And there's nothing wrong with that, but it's not, not me. That's good. I, I think through all of this, what I've admired about you is I think you're pretty clear on who you are and you're staying true to that. And, um, while still trying new things. So I, I admire that in you. Yeah, I think that's the one thing. I mean, if I could give advice again to another artist, I if it's like going and like venturing into becoming a professional, trying to sell your work, thinking of like all of these other ways of how to be an artist, like stay true to yourself. The moment you don't stay true to yourself, your viewer's going to see it and you're going to not produce what you need to produce and you're not going to enjoy the process and i think for me the reason why i've been able to enjoy every aspect of this creation of cola bouncy mcnair wildlife artistry is because i've stayed true to myself through the whole time you know and it's sometimes hard to do that when you see other people being successful but you have to think of what is success i would rather have amazing art friendships where i can sit here with you and we can have conversations about art, that's successful to me. So when you say thank you to you, you know, to me for coming on and chatting with you, like I say thank you to you, because those are those are the calibers of success that I find is what defines it for me. Yeah, because you could probably make quite a living at pet portraits. I could. <laughs> and I will tell you, it doing pet portraits last year paid off of very large amount of debt when it came to some of the student loans that I had to take out to go to school for like boarding and all of that. But it, and it was a very substantial amount, you know, right. and thank you to those pets because they were able to do it. But that's why, you know, I say, what is a measure of success, right? A lot of people are like, Oh my God, like you made so much money last year. Like as an artist, like how can an artist make that type of money? And I'm like, it's, I don't, that's not success to me. Because I think about the amount of enjoyment that I had last year with all my pieces of work. A lot of the enjoyment came from, you know, my little feathered friends, <laughs> you know, and and that's what I enjoy. So that's successful to me. Not not a monetary gain, mm -hmm. which I mean you have to have monetary gain to be able to live and be successful, but it's not the root cause of it. You know, the root cause of it is that I'm sitting here on a podcast with somebody who admires my work and wants to get to know me more. That's successful to me. Awesome. So, so before I go into homework, I want yeah. to ask you, is there an unrealized dream for you around art? Something you want to try, something you want to explore, a place you want to go? Is there something out there you want to share? So there's two. Can I can I share two? You can share three, <laughs> but I'll... <laughs> okay. Oh, okay. I'll, I'm only going to share two. Okay. Um, one of my dreams would be to be able to fully illustrate like an aviary bird guide. Like I would absolutely love to do that. And I would also, there's this person who I follow. I can't remember the name off the top of my head, but I'll say it so he can link it into the thing. But yes. she, I found her through social media and she works with the, um, the New Haven like Bird Conservancy, and they have like a laboratory, and she did all of the illustrations like on the wall, like this huge mural. So it's like I love that type of stuff, 
So I would love to do an entire bird field guide. Um, so I might or might not be working on a second book because I did one book. So I might, that might be something that's happening in this new year. Can't tell too much. <laughs> that's okay. Um, and then the second thing that I would absolutely love to do would take a um, trip. I would love to go to New Zealand and go see all of the bird sanctuaries there with a lot of like the endangered species. I love Hannah Shand. She's one of the artists that I admire. She lives in New Zealand. She does the Stettler pen drawings of birds and she does like a lot of those trips and i'm like oh my god i want to do that like so bad <laughs> so that would be like the second thing that's awesome yeah i had sophie greed on here she's an artist out of the uk and uh, yeah yeah she got she went up she's her work's exceptional yeah and she went up and, and took some photographs of polar bears and it was like oh, that's that's a dream trip yep. yeah she's incredible yep. yeah totally. i think that because uh, it's it's you know, part of the storytelling is what we share, but it's also the story that we build in our head, like the connection to that piece that you photographed. Now you're giving it life and the ability for others yep. to appreciate it. And yeah, that's awesome. Exactly. Yeah. Well, I hope you, um, I hope we have a chance to maybe talk in a year from now and we could talk about how, <laughs> how those have gone along because I'm sure with somebody See what like fruition you, came. <laughs> yes. I'm sure that you will have made progress in both areas. So uh, hopefully, yeah. hopefully. So I always get to this point in the episode where uh, I love to hear kind of an action, an activity that the listener can take with them and be able to extend this episode into their personal life by doing something as a matter of homework. So I'm wondering, Cole, what would you recommend people do as a matter of homework? bit of homework thing that I would recommend, and this is like a huge part because obviously I work in wildlife, so it involves a lot of nature. Um, there is a power to nature that I don't think a lot of people realize. And if you were to just take, and this is going to be my homework to everybody, take just a minimum of 20 minutes to drive to a park or to go walk into a field or be somewhere where you're just fully immersed into nature, you will notice your own entire biorhythm completely shift. Like the calmness, and I'm not meaning just like, oh, there's nothing going on in my life, I'm calm. I'm meaning like the inner calmness and the serene feeling that you can get from just sitting in nature for 20 minutes, closing your eyes, hearing the breeze blow through the trees, some birds chirping, maybe some crickets chirping, anything. All of that is just going to give you this entire like well-being. I mean, there's such a thing called forest bathing for a reason, and it's truly the amount of chemicals that plants and trees emit that also work in synergy with our own biorhythm just can completely change your mood and your attitude and just your overall atmosphere, you know, and there's a lot going on in this world. So if you can just take 20 minutes for yourself, we're lucky, but to do it in nature, I think is really key. So that'd be my homework for everybody. I love that. I do agree. Like, <laughs> and, and I think that would be true. Even if you're drawing buildings, like, mm -hmm. It is that opportunity to bond with the earth and, and to ground yourself again and yep. take it in. And also, too, because if you think about it, buildings are made from the earth, from the lumber they use to the metals that they have to get from the earth to, like, make. So everything's truly created and rooted in earth and nature. And so to really be able to, like, bring it back and bring it into our life is a very beautiful thing. And once you do it, the first time you do it, you're going to be like, oh my God, I'm going to do it again. And then you'll do it again and again. 
and it just completely changes you. I love that homework. <laughs> I'm going to go it's do it tomorrow because <laughs> <laughs> it's dark out. But uh, well, see, I'm lucky that I live. It's I'm in Austin, Texas, so it's like 67 degrees outside. So I'll go do that after this. <laughs> <laughs> That's fantastic. I may actually have a fire. We've got snow on the ground, so I've got a, a fire pit mm. beside our our pond, oh, which serves nice. as a rink in the winter. So, oh, very uh, nice. Yeah, it's very nice to be able to sit out there and look at the stars where it's dark. I will say I do love winter, and I loved the winters in new england so i will definitely miss it but there is something nice about walking out to a warmer winter (laughs) but yeah i'll miss the snow because i i do enjoy it yeah i think i think i've appreciated the seasons more with the pandemic because it helps with because the pandemic's been basically the same thing for almost two years that the seasons help me to connect to memories because i don't have the normal memories anymore because we're not traveling we're not doing anything normal that being able to at least tie a season to it helps me to remember things right which is yeah exactly yeah yep so true so i wanted to give you the opportunity i guess to to share with people where they can find you online we talked about a few things but i'm wondering where would people find cole yeah so the easiest way to follow me where i spend a lot of my time um, is on instagram so you can find me with the handle clm.artistry And then same thing on TikTok, where I post a lot of videos and do live drawing sessions. You'll also, at that point, I do a lot of dual lives, so you get to see a lot of other artists as well, um, if that's what you're into. So that is the same name, CLM Artistry as well. Awesome. And then my website is clmwildlifeart.com. And that's linked in my social media on both platforms. You'll be able to find it there. I'll provide links to all of your uh, locations online and everything that we talked about in the show notes as I always do. Yep. So that's, uh, that's fantastic. I really enjoyed our conversation. I feel like I connected to you on some levels and then I'm inspired by you on so many others. Um, that well, thank you. I, I really enjoyed our conversation, Cole, and I do appreciate you so much putting the time aside at sitting down with me to talk about art and, and your, your story as I think it's a wonderful yeah, story. Yeah, of course. Well, thank you again for allowing me to come on. It's been fun. It's not often that as artists, we get to have conversations like this. So, you know, it's really nice to be able to come on to a great platform like yours with this podcast. So hopefully we can do some brainstorming, maybe do some more in the new year. I'd love to. Thank you so much, Cole. Well, you're so welcome. Have a good rest of your afternoon. And bye, everybody. Thank you all for listening. <laughs> Thanks, everyone. And uh, take care of yourself, Cole. Talk to you soon. You too. Okay. Bye. Bye. Show notes, including links to everything Cole and I spoke about, can be found at drawinginspiration.fm slash 69. If you enjoyed the show, please subscribe, share, and review wherever you listen to podcasts. This now includes Spotify, which allows you to rate the podcast right within the app. So if you are using Spotify, please check that out. This will help surface the podcast for others to enjoy. Thank you so much for joining us this week. Be kind to yourself and each other, and keep drawing. Theme music for this podcast is Acid Jazz, provided by Kevin McLeod.